with Stephen Pinecker from Mormon Book Reviews. No, you're not. Actually, this is Stephen Pinecker of Mormon Book Reviews. Welcome, Welcome to, to Gospel, Gospel Tangents, Tangents, your best source for Mormon history, science, and theology. Good job. I'm Rick Bennett. I'm excited to have Matthew Gill back on the show. We're going to learn more about his growing up in the LDS Church, his visions, and his translating a record of the people on the British Isles. You won't want to miss this episode. Check it out. And what led you to, to leave the LDS Church? My first, it was my first vision as an adult that happened in October of 2005. I was still in the church at that point. I'm, I'm quite happy to stay in the church. I, I mean, I held callings. I, I think I was at that time uh, on the Melchizedek priesthood presidency at the time. So I was happy. I mean, I, I had friends there and good relationships with people and my family. I mean, I'm a third generation LDS, so, or I was. So, you know, it was just like with my parents, all, all I knew was LDS church. All I knew was the LDS story. I didn't really know anything else than the LDS story. I, I certainly wasn't aware of all the different organizations within the restoration family. The only one I was really aware of was the RLDS, and we didn't really talk about them very much. So, and then I had this, I went to bed that night and I prayed, and my, my prayer was more, just direct me, what, what does my family need to do? You've been, you've been telling me since I was 12, this thing's going to come. Is it ever going to come? What's, what's it all about? And then that night I have a vision and I see an angel, and the angel says to me, you're going to be given this gift. This gift is going to come to you. You need to prepare. And my first questions were at the time, what do you mean by prepare? What do I need to do? And, and the angel told me what some, some scriptures to read, where to read the scriptures from. These were LDS scriptures or Bible scriptures. And what was the name of the angel? <laughs> Sorry. The angel was, the angel was called the angel Raphael. Okay. He directed me at the, see, at the time I only had LDS scriptures. I didn't have anything else to hand. But he was talking to me about scriptures that I didn't have. Like I, I, I'd never really studied the inspired version of the Bible. But he was talking about the real Bible. This is the one you need to read. And I'm like, where do I get a copy of this? And what, how do I go back? So he gave me a list of things to do. I went away and researched and did them and read them. I was told to read, in particular, to go through Second Nephi properly. Did that. And then, of course, when you start to do what you're being told to do by an angelic messenger, certain things start to happen in your life, don't they? Because then all of a sudden you're, you're doing things that are contrary to what you're being told at church, which is exactly what happened. Exactly what happened. I remember one, and while these were going on, I was still a member. I hadn't left yet. This is 2005. So I, I was going to church with my wife and my, my son, who's about two, and my parents. And I was just sat in a sacrament meeting. I can't tell you when the date was, but I remember it like, I remember the actual, the instant. I was sitting in a sacrament meeting and they were blessing the sacrament. And I read the Doctrine and Covenant section on the preparing of the sacrament, who is to give the sacrament, who is to 
And I was reading this. And for me anyway, I looked at what we were doing. I looked at what the scripture said. I was like, this doesn't, this doesn't make any sense. We're not, we're not doing what the, the scriptures, even our own scriptures are telling us. And I just felt this overwhelming feeling to get out of that room and get out of there. So I did. I got up and left and went into the into the corridor and my dad came out. What's the matter? You know, Vicky's upset. Vicky's worried. What's going on? That's my wife. I said, I, I can't stay. I've, I, I've just got to, I've got to get out. I can't, I can't stay here anymore. And I never went back. And I decided that night to write my, my resignation letter. And I gave it to my bishop the day after, which was on the Monday. I, I told him that they, they came and I just gave, I, I said to the bishop, you need to come, you need to come. I'm, I'm going to resign my membership. And they were like, no, no, don't do that. Don't, don't, don't resign your membership. We'll talk, we'll talk about it. We'll do anything. Well, what were they doing wrong with the sacrament? Well, they weren't, the, the, the right appropriate body wasn't passing or blessing it. The priests weren't blessing it? No, the priests were blessing it, but the priests weren't passing it. If you read the Doctrine and Covenants, it quite clearly states who should be passing the sacrament or administering the sacrament. Oh, so you thought that the priests should pass it, not the deacons. Okay. That's what we do. And I, I just, it was just, a, it was just a light bulb moment for me and I just had to get out there. And then I got home and prayed about it and thought about it. And I said, I've just got, I just can't, I can't do both. I cannot be having or who I believe was a messenger from God telling me to do one thing and then going to a place on a Sunday or a, or a Wednesday or to a meeting and them telling me to do something completely opposite, forget about it. Uh, because I did tell people that I was having these experiences, but they were like, no, don't just, just forget about them. They're, they're not right. And, and I just couldn't, I couldn't live two lives like that, I had to make a decision, a decision I chose for me anyway, and I believe it tr to be true, the right decision. So I told the bishopric, I'm leaving, I'm giving you a resignation letter. They came over, don't leave, don't leave, we'll talk about it. I gave them a letter and then they said, don't worry, we'll be back and we'll answer these questions. They never came back and they never answered any of my questions. And that was the last time I saw or was involved with the LDS church. And, and then my parents, a couple of months, about a couple of months later, resigned their membership as well. Okay, so this is October 2005. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. Roughly. Yeah, towards the back end. I mean, I had the first visitation in October of 2005. And it's quite funny because... Most of the angelic visitations or the first ones took place in the October. In 1990, my first one took place in October. And then my second one, which is when I was an adult, took place in the October. And so the bishop tried to keep you in? I, I, yeah. I, I, I didn't mean to interrupt that. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was like, don't worry, we'll answer all your queries. We'll, we'll sit down and we'll talk about them. And they never came back. And my dad had questions that were different to mine. My dad said, can you answer these questions for me? I've been led to look at this. Can you? And they, they said, well, we'll get back to you. We'll get someone who knows about this. And they never got back to us. 
So your dad was having visions as well? Yeah, he was having his own experiences. Were the, they were the same or different visions? No, they were roughly the same. I mean, tailored for him, obviously. They weren't they were carbon copies of mine. And he was being told other things to look at and to ask questions about. And if they can't answer these questions, then, you know, why can't they answer these questions? What are they trying to hide? But that, I mean, I don't, I mean, I've, I spoke to my father about them, but um, that's his story to tell, I suppose. And I don't really want to tell his story uh, and get it wrong. So we all, we all talked about what we were, I, I was the first to leave. And then I, I want to say like the December time, late November time, they, they decided to leave my parents. Your parents left. So you left in October and they left in November? Yeah, I want to say like late November, early December, but it was before the end of the year. And then, uh, and then I didn't, and I didn't, did, we didn't do anything. We, we, we did like go out the next day and start a branch <laughs> or you know, set up a congregation. It wasn't like that. I was just still learning and, and finding things out and listening to this messenger and he was showing me he was showing me things and leading me down pathways that i'd never been down before and and then of course it all culminated as i've said with the call to stonehenge get you in the in the august of 2006 get yourself to stonehenge and that's when i that's when i for the first time that's when i i thought uh, yeah this is going to kick into third gear and, and it you know kicked into fifth gear by the time the box came and and I knew as soon as the box came that it would change everything. And the people who were still talking to me would no longer talk to me. And that's, that's pretty much what happened really. Okay. So you got the, uh, plates, was it September 26th? If I remember right. You got the plates in the September. September the 23rd, but okay. late. Okay. And then we started working on them October 1st. So you just decided to translate them or to, there was no messenger telling you to translate them or? No, when we got, when, when we got them, obviously we would, we, we didn't know it was, it was going to be in the box. When we opened the box, it was a complete surprise to us. I was expecting one set of records, maybe. I had no idea what they might be on, whether that might be on paper or whatever. I had no idea there would be two in there. So there were 24 brass plates and 10 brass plates, and then a a Urim and Thummim, is that what it was? Or Yeah, yeah, I suppose you could call it Urim and Thummim. I just call them translators. Okay. So the 24 plates was roughly this size. I want to say. Okay. And the the ten of the plates were slightly larger, but uh, instead of portrait. Okay. The writing was across, but they were wider. Anyway, uh, and then of course we had the translators, but we didn't know. I didn't know what to do. So the first thing I did was like, okay, shut the box, put the box away. We're not going to get everything out and start playing. Put it away. Let's go and pray about this. Let's go and let's go and ask the Lord. What do we do now? Obviously, you want us to translate. How does that work? I got the instruction to use the translators, 
And the best way to describe them, have you ever seen uh, an old pair of medieval glasses? They, they, they're, they're like, they were, they were, they were round, like an arch in the middle, and they were wrapped in leather. One lens was red and the other lens was blue. They were inscribed around the outside and they were big. They, they, they were, we're not wearing glasses, but they were super big. And we had trouble trying to keep them on. So, uh, my, my dad tied them around my, around my head in the end. And then as soon as I knew. So before he tied them on, you just had to hold them with your hands or? I had to sit there like this. And when uh-huh. you're trying to do something and you, this is, this is good because you can't move anything. So we, we came up, we came, well, my dad came up with a great solution. Let's just tie the things. Let's just tie them on. So we tied them on. And then, and then on October the 1st, we all decided after prayerful consideration that we would start to translate them. We were told to translate the, the smaller of the set, which was the 24 plate one to start with. And that's what we did. That was smaller than the 10 plates? Oh, yeah. 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 The templates okay. were wider. The templates were wider. So if you can imagine the wooden box is square, the, the, the template sat on the bottom of the, the box, right? The 24 plates were on top of it, and then the interpreters or the translators were at the bottom. Okay. So these were not the same gold plates that Moroni gave to Joseph Smith? No, no. I've seen those. I saw them in a vision when I was 12. Okay. But they weren't the same plates as Joseph Smith. I wouldn't expect them to be either because they're not here. So, and and I knew and I knew that they wouldn't be because I'd been told this was a record of the former inhabitants of the British Isles. So what would I need the gold plates for? Because that's that's uh, your area. <laughs> so no, I knew that would be Joseph Smith's gold plates, and I just there was no need for there to be got Joseph Smith's gold plates. It was these were brand new records that no one's ever seen before and so we did we just translated them it took about 10 sundays to get the work done so you only translated on sunday i only translated that was what we were told to do so when we received the plates and the praying my dad said to me you know we've got the we, we better start like having church meetings and i was like i don't know i've not been asked to start a branch I've not been asked to start an organization. I don't know if I should be even thinking about this. My dad, my dad said to me, well, surely it's a natural progression, right? I said, I don't know. So how, how did you decide to translate them instead of your dad? Oh, no, I knew I was going to translate. Oh, and your dad, your dad knew that too? Yeah, my dad knew that too. He knew that he was responsible for the plates while they were in his home, and they stayed in his home. I never took them back to my home. They stayed with my dad. My dad looked after them. He was like the keeper of the records, if you like. He put them somewhere safe, and so nobody knew where they were. And we went to their house on Sundays. We had a newly formed organizational meetings, and then after the meetings were finished, we translated for probably about an hour and a half, I want to say, each time. 
And so you would read and your dad would serve a scribe? Is that? So, yeah, we, we used the dining room, a uh, normal dining room table. I sat at the head with uh, the, the plates that were going to be translated, which were the 24. Uh, my friend was on the right of me and my father was on the left. And as I translated, they wrote. So there was no curtain between you like Joseph Smith? No. Okay. <laughs> I never fooled you. Did you take pictures of them or anything? No. No, I've never understood why that would you'd want to do that with a sacred object. I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I wasn't going to be taking it. This was in 2006. So, I mean, social media wasn't where it was today. And I wouldn't have done it anyway. I just think taking, I mean, I've seen other organizations take pictures of supposed artifacts and put them on the internet. I'm like, no, I don't even need to do that. People are either going to believe what I say or they're not. I don't need to prove it. So, yeah, I mean, that was just the, the two thoughts that come into my mind were number one, James Strang. Are you familiar with James Strang? Yeah, I'm all about James Strang, yeah. Because uh, he allowed non-Mormons to see them, so nobody saw them but you, your dad, and your friend? Well, no, no, no. People ask to see them, and I would pray about it on a person-by-person basis. And depending on what my answer was from God, would be whether they I showed them to those people or not. My mom asked to see them obviously because she wasn't in the room and she never saw us unpack the box and she wanted to see them so i prayed about that i was told she could see the one set which is the 24 plates but she can't see the tenth, the 10 plates and i didn't argue i didn't argue the reason behind that i just said okay uh, i wasn't allowed to show her the uh, the translators the interpreters i wasn't allowed to, i was just allowed to show her the 24 hmm. book, 24 plates no. was it your wife there at the time too yeah she was yeah so she, did she see everything she didn't ask to. She didn't ask to see them. She wasn't in. I don't think she was interested in seeing them. So she never asked. So I never. I never pushed the button. I never said, "Do you want to see them? Do you want to see them?" And that was her choice. She didn't want to see them. But she knew you were going to translate something from your previous visions. Yes. Yes. She. She was fully aware of what was going on, and has been since two thousand six. So. And did she leave when you left too, the church, the LDS church? She left. She left a little later than me. I think she probably left in about two. I think she left in 2007 sometime. Oh. Her reasoning was, and, and you know, as I say, different people's stories need telling by those people. But, you know, we had a young son. He was two at the time, two and a half. And she was happy with him in the nursery program. She had friends at the the ward. And she, I don't think she was ready to let go of that yet. So that was fine. I mean, I was happy. I wasn't going to bully her into doing anything she didn't want to do. It's not, it's not what personally am. So, and when she was ready, she, she left when she was ready to leave. And she's been, she's been worshipping with us probably since 2007. So. Okay. The church, you know, my argument at the time was, this is what I'm doing. I'm not making any decisions for you. You make those decisions on your own. To my friend, I was simply said, this is what is it? This is what's happening to me. You make decisions on your own. And with my, with my parents, and they all made their own decisions and left when they decided to leave. And the same with my wife. And that was it, really. And then we, we translated, as I said, we translated the plates in like 10 Sundays. 
So, like, by the December, we'd finished. And then we'd, I'd already lined up some kind of print deal so I could get these out quickly. And then we had, we had them all printed into book form by the end of the year, by the end of December. So we were ready to roll in the 2007 to give them out to people and start talking about them publicly to people. Because during the translation project, I wasn't discussing anything publicly with anybody. This is the book of Jaranek, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the book of Jaranek was primarily based on the 24 plates. There's a section in the book of Jaranek called The Religious Practices of the People of Light. That's what was on the 10 plates. So there was like a history, a basic history and a dealing with God there. Then the nuances of their religion and their ceremonies and their prayers were based on the ten plates. So they were all they were all translated. I translated twenty four, then I translated the ten and we had them printed up by the December. So by two thousand seven it was all done. That's when we publicly came out and said, this is what we've got. This is the book. Come and read it. So that's that. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Elder Matthew Gill. In our next conversation, we're going to talk about religious practices of people who predate Judaism. Were they Christians? Well, we do. We have a record of a people in that locality talking about building a temple of in that place, at that at the, at that time, and building buildings, feasting and, and living their lives, and the whole Stonehenge area is littered with light, littered with light. Thanks for listening to Gospel Tangents. If you'd like to hear the entire interview uncut, please subscribe at patreon.com slash gospeltangents. You can hear the entire interviews there. Also, check out our new, improved, uh, user-friendly website at gospeltangents.com. We've made it much more user-friendly, so check that out. Click here to subscribe, here for a transcript, and over here we've got more of our great videos. Thanks again.